Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind Podcast, our weekly show about the intersection of lifestyle and technology. Today we are revisiting our Retail Tech Talks, a live program we hosted at SIF, the Copenhagen International Fashion Fairs, just a few weeks ago. This talk is a conversation with Fredrik Larsen, founder of Infuturum. Infuturum is a Copenhagen-based consultancy that advises leading Scandinavian fashion and lifestyle brands on sustainability and social justice and creates strategies rooted in research-based approach and a deep understanding of strategic business processes and communication. The title of this conversation was A New Policy for Fashion, How Branding and Production Will Be Shaped by the Ecological Crisis. I really enjoyed this conversation with Frederick as I find him one of the most thoughtful persons in the fashion space today. In this conversation, we talk about how Fredrik helped write the sustainability strategy for all of Copenhagen Fashion Week, what's happening with the new EU directives for the fashion industry, the need for data, and so much more. Here now, my conversation with Fredrik Larsen, co-founder of InFuturo. Big round of applause, right? Let's do it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Fredrik, thank you so much for, for being here. Uh, I just uh, asked you before, what do you call yourself? Are you an advisor or a consultant or a teacher? It seems like all of the above. Can you just explain what Infoturum is to begin with? Yes, I'll be, uh, be glad to. So Infoturum is basically um, a consultancy or a strategic advisory um, where we work predominantly with sustainability and social justice as our focus areas. But part of that is working directly with brands and, and giving them strategic advice on, on how to, to so transition towards uh, sustainability and, and justice. But it's also a very big part of our, our work to do research. We do our own original research. I, I come from a background as, a, as an academic researcher in different universities on especially sustainability and um, business models, but from a human-centered point of view. So we do a lot of different things. We, we, we still teach or at least sort of create educational programs also, but most of our town, time is spent creating frameworks and strategies for sustainability um, for companies and organizations. Yeah. This is, that's my uh, impression of you as well. And one of the, I don't know if you call it claim to fame, but one of the things that you have been part of is help write the sustainability strategy for Copenhagen Fashion Week. And right now, Copenhagen Fashion Week is in full swing. Are you happy about that work? And can you just give us a little bit of a head notes on, on what that meant? Yeah. Definitely, and first of all, I would say I'm I'm incredibly happy with 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 how it's turned out. So the the brief history of that uh, sort of requirement and point system um, is that that we it was introduced or presented three years ago by the Copenhagen Fashion Week, um, but it it was built built on a year long process of developing a a system where we translated the complexities of sustainability and social responsibility into something that that is relevant for small and medium-sized fashion companies in a Scandinavian context. Um, we worked with uh, insiders in the industry, both brands and uh, experts. We we worked with external experts and actually sort of criti- critics and activists commenting on the framework. And then after that, we it was introduced and we've held an um, 
I would say, endless series of seminars uh, sort of explaining how this works to brands. And when I say that, that's actually the biggest part of it because it's a requirement system um, hoping to, to create a, sort of a minimum standard uh, within the Fashion Week um, for sustainability and social responsibility, but it's very much an educational sort of system also. Brands can use it to, to look at their own efforts. They can hopefully learn something new about sustainability, what it could mean in different areas of a a fashion company uh, and and for the brand also towards consumers so so it's it's very much sort of pushing and hopefully helping at the same time and can you give some examples of what some of these requirements are and i think it's particularly interesting that you're focusing on kind of the small to medium sized brands because you know we've talked today and we're going to talk this week about the, the big challenges that the industry has mm -hmm. and they are huge they are monumental yeah. and it's easy to be kind of fatigued by it and uh, it's easy to point fingers at fast fashion and, and all these things are relevant but if you're a small and medium-sized company usually you don't have the you don't have your own sustainability person full-time for yeah. for example yes. so how do you go about taking some of the initial steps and, and going back to my questions what were the requirements yeah so so the focus is based on the the knowledge that that most of the brands showing at the copenhagen fashion week are small and medium-sized brands mm. and one of the issues is like you said they don't necessarily have a, a, a sort of a designated sustainability person in the in the company but also that a lot of the brands don't own their own production so they're very dependent on external production uh, which means that their influence over production is is limited because they they can only negotiate with the right. with suppliers so how do we how do you do that how do you start doing that and that's one of the reasons we created this system it, it, it uh, consists of six different focus areas uh, that covers the entire value chain and the requirements that we've set up is then uh, creating a minimum standard throughout all of them so some of them is a, uh, are questions about strategy so uh, does your company have a, has a, a sustainability strategy for example and one of the reasons that's that's very important is that that's really where company can make an effort they can make decisions that will affect the entire supply chain and value mm. chain but on a strategic level the same thing with materials sort of setting minimum standards for preferred materials um, and you have to answer yes to a minimum of 50% of preferred materials um, in in that section um, working with due diligence uh, having programs towards consumers uh, and of course thinking about uh, the uh, the staging sort of the uh, the fashion show as an entity as well and of course we realized that that this is, was made for Fashion Week and for other brands, for example, the show part may be less um, important, but the idea is still that if you create some kind of presentation, whether it's a, a catalog or you have a website or a lookbook or whatever, you, still, you can still consider how do we do this and how do we meet our customers and our users through this um, sort of through sustainability as well. Fascinating. Have you seen, uh, do you have any favorite examples? I don't know if you can name names, but uh, effects of, of this strategy in the industry? Um, yes, sort of in terms of the requirements, you think? In terms or? of brands actually making a change and yeah. working differently. And um, I mean, we've worked with, with, uh, with a number of Scandinavian fashion brands as, as uh, strategic advisors as yeah. well and created strategies for them. And I think uh, in terms of different examples, um, one of the smaller brands, a very small brand um, that, that started working with the requirements, 
Uh, they were sort of puzzled by the uh, all the questions about having policies in place and creating strategy documents because we're like, we're 10 people in the company, like we don't need that. And that's absolutely true. But f fashion companies can grow very, very quickly. And within a year, you may be 20. And in three yeah. years, you might be 45 people. And suddenly, it is quite important to have a diversity policy in your company, uh, to have um, sort of uh, working conditions policies also internally in your office. And they so it's sort of easy steps actually preparing for that for that journey as well. Mm. And then at the other end, we've worked with much larger uh, companies where they've used the requirement system to to check through all the different departments. And one of, one of the the companies that were part of the pilot testing of the system came back to us afterwards and were like, "It's great as a sustainability manager having this uh, framework because it forces me to go to all the different departments in the company and say I need knowledge on this." I need you to report to me right. on this. So it actually created a unity throughout the company. So those are two quite different examples. Wonderful. How We've talked a lot about uh, retail today here. Uh, is, is that an area that you are focused on and how, you know, can you... Other things happening there that you you are focused on in your your advice? Well, I think we, it's definitely something that we uh, we take into consideration, um, and and what we are focusing on mostly is how the brands that are trying to create different approaches, for example, to their collections, sort of selling, uh, having fewer collections, having more uh, never out of stock products in order to create a more stable production, right. which is very good for working conditions in the in the supply chain, for example, because it allows the suppliers to plan out the production a lot mm. more. Um, they often run into issues with the retailers requiring them to, to deliver in a very specific structure. The seasonality is something they still have to adhere to. Sales uh, structures are very diff difficult if you want to create products that are never out of stock and, and, and are more stable. So I would say at this point we are we're looking at a lot of issues or sort of barriers in the retail sector for the, the, the brands that, that sort of on a very fundamental level want to approach sustainability. At the same time, however, we're also seeing new forms of collaboration, and I think some of the bigger retailers are also very much part of this and very, very sort of aware that that they have a role to play in it. Um, but then, talking to smaller smaller fashion shops, for example, you can see that they've been uh, very um, uh, sort of uh, vulnerable in the last few years with, of course, closures uh, during the pandemic, with uh, with uh, difficulties in getting supply uh, suppliers there in time, sort of lead times on, on products. Um, and I think a lot of, of, of them are stuck in a system that, that is quite sort of conservative yeah. in terms of how new products, new fashion products are presented on the market, uh, how consumers meet them, when they meet them, um, uh, and how sales are happening and uh, how sort of the uh, reduction sales are also forcing a very, very short period of time for the products in the, in the retail. So, from our perspective, most of it are challenges that that, that could be met, but but there are there are definitely uh, opportunities to do that. You and I talked about this before, and, and it's it's been a topic here today. The, this, there's a kind of a contrast or or, or uh, issue with the fashion industry in the sense that, on the one hand, it's about progression and and being on the forefront of culture and being about mm. change and so forth. On the other hand, it, it, sort of on the back end, it seems very traditional, conservative, 
very analog in very many in many ways even yeah. though we're 2023 there's so many tools out there yes do you agree to this and how do you see this situation this kind of uh, yeah yeah absolutely and and i think uh, there's a fashion researcher uh, uh kawamura who put it very beautifully that that fashion is all about change the only thing that doesn't change are the institutions <laughs> and by institutions he's talking about um sort of retail structures but she's also talking about the fashion show it's an it's an old old technique it's from yeah. the from the 1860s basically and it hasn't changed very much seasons haven't really changed very much either so there are a lot of things that we're sort of stuck in we if we if we think back 15 to 20 years the sort of digitalization of, of fashion even having web shops today would be unthinkable uh, but but they were very reluctant even having websites for a lot of big, bigger brands were like no 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 we, we don't do that and there can be a beauty in that sort of conservative approach because you're yeah. cautious a little bit but it doesn't really harmonize with the fact that you're pushing new products all the time and new styles and new trends so so that is is quite funny and it's it's still there um, there's also in terms of production of course the the, the the main technology in fashion production is still the sewing machine that was invented in the 1850s as well. That is still the predominant technology. And there's nothing wrong with a sewing machine, but we, in other industries, that would be quite unthinkable that the, te the pre predominant technologies were so, um, so old. So there's a lot of opportunity for, for change. I will say, however, on that, because a lot of our work is also to think how innovation, for example, and how new technologies, whether they benefit or hinder sustainability, for example. And we are also at this, uh, at this point seeing a lot of technological innovation being introduced for the sake of technological innovation, right. not, uh, not actually helping out creating new opportunities or creating more sustainable products. And I think that's that's something we have to be cautious about also. So basically thinking, why are we implementing new technologies yeah. and what is their purpose? Well, one could argue that the biggest sort of technological shift, paradigm shift in fashion the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years has been e-commerce. Yes. And by all you know measurements, it's been detrimental to the environment with yeah. the, all these you know rapid returns and yes. and discard discard uh, discardment of yeah. of uh, the clothes that they return and, and so forth. Yeah. yeah. So and and I think it feels like we need to look at technology. Uh, if you look at it as a tool for positive change rather than just convenience, because yes, so absolutely. much of fashion is, is about you know reducing. Uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Reducing uh, friction mm -hmm. yeah. and increasing the convenience, and yes. you know, yeah. Amazon and uh, yeah. all those e-commerce places have been all about that. Yeah, and I'm, it's absolutely true, and I think that's very important to think about the purpose of it. And it actually reminds me now that you talk about convenience. There's another great sociologist. Uh, she's worked on on sort of one, some of the reasons why we have a difficult time creating sustainability, and she talks about comfort, cleanliness, and convenience as the three big motors right. towards in sustainability yeah. because it's increasing our energy consumption uh, it's increasing our need for uh, washing for example mm. uh, and the convenience once we've been introduced to something new that's really convenient it's so difficult to go back if we were never introduced to that in the first place it wouldn't really be something we missed mm. so there's sort of psychological aspects to it in in the consumption section and I think a lot of technology can play into that but hopefully we can see 
real innovative technologies that can perhaps help us turn convenience into something that doesn't equal more energy use, more resource use, uh, more products, but better products uh, and perhaps more sort of meaningful products that are still that are still creating a profit for the companies, but without having it to be uh, sort of um, sort of fueled by overproduction and overconsumption. That would be excellent. It, w it would. Okay, so let's talk about EU. You've been eyeing this, uh, I know. So, how? Wh what's your take on the situation? Well, the um, the the long sort of view, uh, so historically, at least a short short history, is that 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 the industry has been deregulated de uh, leading up to to the 2000s uh, very much. Sort of internationally, there's been some regulation on textile trade between yeah. countries, and that has limited, especially the influx of of cheaper uh, textiles into the North American and, and European markets. When that was removed, uh, markets saw a real flooding of much uh, much cheaper products. Products, which has accelerated the production level and consumption level to to completely new uh, new heights, um, and so in other words, regulation works in terms of trying to create a uh, a boundary and a sort of maybe a standard even for what other types of product we should be making. In that view, I think regulation isn't necessarily a new thing, but in a shorter period, it is very new yeah. because it's been quite unregulated. Um, and for those of us working on the side of environmental sustainability, climate and social justice, these measures are incredibly needed. Um, we need to create something that will help companies and economies move towards better products, fewer products, more resale um, uh, sort of business models, um, better resource usage, um, better recyclability and so on. And that's really what the new textile um, uh, sort of strategy is about. Mm. Um, having said that, it's still unclear exactly how and when the different measures will be rolled out. Um, and on the one hand, that, that is creating confusion. At the same time, at least from the um, environmental agency, the European Environmental Agency, they, they also, I think, want to try to co-create this a little bit with the people in the industry figuring yeah. out how would this work. And there's a fundamental problem to that, which isn't uh, only in, in fashion, but in, in product, uh, sort of production of products in general, that we still require fundamental measurements on how we measure the sustainability and emissions level of individual products and materials. And the new strategy here is also one of the efforts from the EU to try to push that agenda to say, we need a common language. What are emissions and how do we calculate them? Yeah. And what is sustainability sort of footprint of these different products? And that will be, I think, on the one hand, of course, it's a new situation for, for fashion brands, um, but it will create a common framework for everybody to work within. So it will also help create similar uh, requirements to suppliers, for example, saying this is what we need from you. At the moment, uh, a lot of individual brands are creating their own frameworks and their right. own requirements. And that's good because there aren't really a lot to go by, but it also means for suppliers that they can be faced with sort of 10 different sets of requirements on data and information um, for the different different brands. So I think in the long run, it will help um, environmentally, but, but probably also help brands move towards this. Mm. I had a talk with Lisa Lang. She's one of the policy makers mm. in, in the EU. Uh, and uh, she talked about the first sort of rounds of, of legislation will, will be for the bigger uh, players, yeah. the, the biggest yeah, companies, yeah. 
whereas uh, sort of the smaller, medium-sized companies, maybe that are relevant for, 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 for Copenhagen Fashion Week, it will be 2026. But that's still very soon in terms of, I mean, many brands start designing the collections for 2025 soon. So the, the, there is something that the industry need to, to take a look at. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you mentioned data, and we, we should talk a little bit about this. This is mm -hmm. a, a kind of a, also one of these looming topics. What do we mean by it? Yes. Um, with these regulations, there's going to be requirements of um, uh, traceability, for instance. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to show where the, where the um, uh, garments and materials are coming from, uh, but also in terms of overproduction. Where, where do they go? Yeah. So it's where do the garments go? Yeah. How do you view this subject? Because it's also a big one and, and um, hard for many brands to tackle, so to speak. Yeah. And I think in relation to, to those two aspects, traceability, um, both in the uh, sort of upstream and, and downstream, um, I think is, is incredibly important. We, we, need, we need to know where do products come from. And that's an incredibly important aspect of also creating sustainability and social responsibility because by following products through production you also realize all the different actors involved in in bringing that product uh, forward from from uh, agriculture through fiber into a finished product so so that is incredibly necessary and on the other hand when it leaves the um, the, the brand or the the, the shops and um, we still know very little about exactly what what uh, consumers and users are um, how they treat them and when they end up as textile waste there's very little information sort of stored in that um, I've worked quite a lot on, on secondhand markets and, and textile waste as a research area. And it's very fascinating, but it's also uh, sort of completely un, un, uh, undocumented, large parts of it anyway. But that is, that is changing, and I think the traceability is part of it. One thing I will say in terms of data is kind of like with, with new technologies, we have to think about what data is, is relevant and why do we want this data. Um, there's been different sort of waves of trying to introduce traceability also with new labeling or even with microchips uh, with, the, with sort of um, uh, the ability to store information with blockchain and so on. And I believe in the right circumstances, this is a, this is a great, uh, great idea to use it. But we have to think, why do we want it? Um, one of the examples here would be that a lot of brands are thinking about they would like to trace their products with a blockchain, for example, through a blockchain technology, through the consumption phase and into the waste stream, which is great. But it's only really necessary if you're thinking about a product that has a very short lifespan. Yeah. Um, because if that product is in use for 10 years, that brand, may, you know, it might not even be there anymore. So that information is lost anyway. Yeah. So either we have to find a sort of a, a, a registry sort of together and we're like, so all of our clothes should be in a central registry or, you know, so we have to think, what will it give us? What would this data actually provide us with? Um, and, and who needs it? Mm. Um, what's much more important is to think about what type of products are we actually making and selling and how long do we expect people to use this because the true sustainability comes from reducing the overall consumption of resources and the best way of doing that is keep products in uh, for alive for longer yeah. that's also very much the framework for this new EU legislation saying we need to extend the lifespan of, of the product so so that's the key and where data helps us do that that's great but if it's mainly helping us get 
you know, textile products back into the waste room and back into production, which is speeding up the circle of production and consumption instead of slowing it down, which we should be doing. So, so again, why do we want the data and what is the relevant data is the big question gonna have to wrap this up I'm, I'm, I'm super sad about that I could talk about this forever just as an end note uh, let's end on a positive note can you just say maybe like two or three things happening in industry right now that you are kind of optimistic about and, and, and positive about going forward Yes, um, if we move beyond uh, the uh, sort of environmental sustainability and just start with the social responsibility part of it, I think that what we've seen is is a, a hugely growing awareness of, of creating a much more um, diverse and inclusive industry in terms of representation towards brands, especially uh, in, uh, in European and North American uh, companies. Uh, and that is gradually translating into an understanding that, that true sort of inclusivity and diversity is also to value the people who create your product backstage. It's not only about how you market your product. And I think that awareness is, is spreading. Um, and that's the first, I wouldn't say by any means that we've, we've created it, but, but the awareness is spreading. And that's, that's a big and important aspect. Um, I would also place the uh, the require sort of the uh, the regulation aspect as something that is actually a very positive thing. Um, first of all, because I think they're necessary from an environmental point of view. Secondly, because they will help brands in the long run. I think it's it's going to be difficult, but 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 it will it will happen. And thirdly, it is actually part of this new. Um, the new regulation or the new strategy is also more funding into research into the fashion textile industry. Surprisingly, because it's it's a large industry uh, for most of European countries, more for some than for others, uh, and still it's an industry that has been invested in very little in terms of knowledge building, and that is beginning to change. They put that into the strategy saying we need more public research into what happens in the industry? How do we develop it? What kind of technologies do we use? Where do products end up? And I think that will create a big change. All right, this has been Retail Tech Talks uh, from Scandinavian Mind. We'll be back tomorrow with our beauty innovation package. I'd like to thank Fredrik so much for sharing your insights today and thank you all thank for coming. You. Thank you. That was Fredrik Larsen co-founder of Infoturum, recorded at our Retail Tech Talks during Copenhagen International Fashion Fairs in February 2023. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter. Visit scandinaviamind.com newsletter not to miss out on any upcoming talks and events. We'll be back next week with another conversation about the intersection of lifestyle and technology. Till then, goodbye.